We've been looking at Joshua in the context of crossing over because they crossed over the Jordan River. The promised land they're going into is, of course, uh, a reminder to us of the blessings that God had for His children. And while we're not necessarily given the same kind of promise of a geographical land as Christians, uh, the Lord does have blessings for us, doesn't He? Just as they had to face giants and they had uh, troubles as they went into it, so walking into the Christian life and having victory, we do have our trials. We do have opposition to it. It isn't just necessarily an easy thing that we float through our Christian experience day by day. And so I think there's a lot of very healthy parallels, a lot of good analogies and lessons we can learn about what's happening here in these, the, the life of these Israelites as they're settling this land and, uh, and how it applies to us. Today I want to talk to you about consistency. Uh, as we read through these verses, and I tried to kind of give you the heads up on this, uh, we see lots of almost repetition, right? It's one battle, one city, one king after another. And, you know, when you're reading something like this in the Bible, you might be tempted to feel a little bit bored with it. It's like, okay, another city, another battle. You know, what's the significance to me about Lachish and Eglon and Deber, these cities? I don't know these cities. Of course, there's, there's some wealth to looking up and say, a Bible encyclopedia and learning a little bit more about these. But I think a spiritual significance for us is to see the consistency, not just of, of, of God here, but of how God's man handled moving from one battle to the next. And the Word of God seems to be making an emphasis on this consistency in Joshua's life. For instance, let me just kind of highlight these. And what I did was, in my Bible, I kind of did some underlining and drew a, like a number out to the side so I could see there's obviously a preponderance. There's, it's over and over again mentioned here. Like at the end of verse 28, you can see where it says, and he did, a few extra words there, as he did. In other words, he did now as he had done before. Consistency, right? He, he's developing a pattern. Drop down to verse 30 in the end of that verse. But did unto the king thereof as he did. Again, consistency. He's like, okay, what am I going to do this time? I'm going to do like I did before. Drop down to verse 32. A little bit different wording, but you still have the same idea here. It says, and he smote it, talking about the city of Lachish. And then it says at the end of the verse, according to all that he had done consistency you see a fourth reference in verse 35 at the end of the verse according to all that he had done verse 37 about almost about two-thirds of the way th through according to all that he had done you see a pattern okay the holy spirit's trying to tell us something right verse 39 uh, two references here uh, towards the end as he had done to hebron and then it says, as he had done also to Libna. So you get two in that verse. But to what end? Okay, we see some consistency. And that's, God seems to be rewarding this, right? He's having victory after victory after victory. And all of this is based upon the last phrase that we read at the end of verse 40. 
as the Lord God of Israel, what? Commanded. And so that's the, the key of consistency, is that it's built on God's guidance. You know, you can be consistent, but be consistently wrong. You know, uh, we, we know some political leaders that have, you know, they never disappoint us in what, what we expect them to say or do because they are consistently wrong or they're consistently bad in their legislation, right? It's, we'd actually be surprised if they, it's like, whoa, you know, where did that come from, right? So consistency, as we're going to see, is a little bit more uh, than, than just always doing the same thing and falling into kind of a rut or a pattern. For instance, this morning, Becky and I came to church. We got here, and we stepped out of our, our Kia. And as I often do, I, I took the fob, and as we were walking away, and pushed the button to make it lock, okay? And it's one of these keyless things. You don't have to put the key in the ignition. It just has one of those start buttons. Um, so I pushed the button to lock the doors, as I had done countless times. And it usually gives just a little beep, you know, just to indicate. But this time when I pushed the button, nothing. So I assumed what? I didn't push the button right. So I push it again. Still doesn't work. I go over to the door because it also has like a little manual button on the outside that you press. And, uh, and I touch that. Nothing happens. I said to my wife, you have your fob? Yes, I have my fob. I'm like, you try it. She pushes it. It works for her. Okay, does the car like her better? Probably, but that wasn't the issue. Okay, the issue was the 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 fob needed a new battery put inside of it, which thankfully to CVS was a, a quick fix on the way home. All right, but here's the point: uh, you know we use things over and over again, and we take for granted sometimes the the faithfulness or the consistency in which they deliver to us. And, and we notice it when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, right? We notice it when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Faithfulness is important among humans. I often tell young people as they're getting ready to go out and take their first job in the workplace, I'm like, you know, here's just a couple, two pieces of advice. Number one, when you're scheduled to work, show up. It's kind of sad that you have to say that this day and age, but you will really shine in contrast to so many other people, because I've talked to so many managers that say, you know, you know, half my workers just call out randomly all the time, you know, and I'm like, if you're scheduled, you know, you get sick and things happen, but I mean, people are calling out for all kinds of reasons, right, but, you know, be faithful, and, and when you're scheduled to work, show up on time, you know, be a little early or whatever, and, you know, you think, that doesn't sound like much, and I guess decades ago, that you would have to do a lot more than that to shine. But now, you do those two things, and they're, they're going to love you because it's hard to find consistency, right? It's hard to find consistency and faithfulness. In the Christian life, it's important for us to have consistency. But again, it's that next level of consistency we call faithfulness. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 4.2 where it tells us this, Moreover, it is required in stewards, and that's us. You know, we're not owners, but we're handlers. We're servants of God. And so what do we do? Does God say, I'm, I'm going to look for a certain kind of production from you? No. God says what's really required of you is that you're just simply found what? 
faithful. So the Lord just wants us to be consistently obedient in our lives. Of course, faithfulness means consistently obedient, not just doing the same thing. It's easier to develop, though, a bad habit, unfortunately, than it is to develop a good habit. You ever found that to be true? I mean, you don't have to concentrate on doing a bad habit. It just kind of finds you. Uh, you don't have to be intentional. You know, what, what bad habit can I really focus on today? Why is that? Well, it's because of our own fleshly desires, our debates, and it's in opposition to our new spirit. And just read through Romans 7. You hear Paul talk about that. Yeah, the things that I know I ought to do, those are the things that are hard to do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, those are things that just come so natural to me. My paraphrase. But you go through that and you think, my goodness, I can identify with Paul. I understand exactly what he's talking about. It's tough. So faithfulness, consistency, doing the right things over and over again. It does take some commitment. And just as God rewards Joshua's faithfulness and the children of Israel's faithfulness for their consistency, God blesses us and our consistency, doesn't he, in our walk with him. So what principles can we learn for our own individual consistency? Number one is that being, we need to be consistent in maintaining the drastic elimination of what is wicked and unwholesome. We've got to be consistent in getting rid of those bad things in our life. You know, we might be good sporadically at doing this. You hear a message, the Spirit of God just hits you right between the eyes, right? And you're like, hmm, got to get rid of that, got to deal with that in my life. And we're good at that when that happens. But you know what? We can't just be sporadic about this. We have to deal with it over and over again. What do we see happening here with Joshua? Joshua could have followed the custom of other powerful military conquerors, you know, because Joshua would have been aware of how battles took place. You know, he would have heard, you know, through oral tradition, people sharing stories about what other kings and conquerors did. And what would they do? They would come in and they would take a city, and instead of uh, executing the wicked leaders... And getting rid of them, you know, those, those, those conquering kings would say, you know, I want something to brag about. So I'm going to, this king that I've just conquered, you know, I'm going to do away with his army, but I'm going to keep that king. And why would he do that? He would do that so he could say, look, I'm stronger than him. I'm going to humiliate this king. And they would sometimes do things, you know, put him in chains and parade them around and make them look all embarrassed, so it would make them look better. You know, we have an instant of that in the life of King Saul. You might remember this account in 1 Samuel 15. God had told him to deal with the Amorites. And, and, and Samuel shows up, and, and uh, King Saul says, Well, we did what God told us to do. Well, had he? Well, he partially did. But remember, partial obedience is still disobedience. He wasn't consistent. He wasn't faithful. What had he done? Well, in addition to saving some animals that we can offer to God, he had saved the king. The king's name was Agag. You might remember that. 
Why would he do that? Well, to make himself look important. Look at this king. You know, this, this king was fierce, but I'm better than him because I've conquered him. It kind of kept him around almost like a pet was the idea. And that's how some of these conquered kings treated these individuals, these military uh, leaders that they were able to conquer. Joshua might have been tempted to do the same thing, but he didn't. Thankfully, he didn't. What did Joshua do at Jericho? We go back to Joshua 6 and verse 21 and it says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, ass with the edge of the sword. Well, that's what it says in verse 28. As he had done to the king of Jericho, that's what he's going to do here. And then he's going to say later on, as he did to Makeda, which was what he did to Jericho, now he's going to this city. And so there's those little chain references, right? And what is that showing? Consistency. I, I, I obeyed God in Jericho. I'm going to obey God in Makeda. I'm going to obey God in Deber. I'm going to obey God in Lachish. You know, what does that tell us we need to do? We need to be consistent on Sundays. We need to be consistent on Mondays. We need to be faithful on Tuesdays. When God... Uh, touches our heart and points out a, an area of unwholesomeness in our life and say, you know what, this is really hampering you from growing as a believer. This is a sin that is so easily besetting you. This is a weight that is holding you back from running well. This needs to go. And you're like, you know, I've done that. I've gotten rid of this out of my life. I've, I've instituted this practice into my life. Why? Because I want to run the race that is set before me. I want to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we've done that. And sometimes what we do is the Holy Spirit comes knocking on our heart's door and says, you know, there's this area of your life that's really hindering you. And what we want to do is, yeah, but hey, can I take you back to here? Look at, I obeyed right here. Look at what I did. And the Holy Spirit needs to be able to say to us, as you did there, let's do here. Right? We don't ever stop saying, you know, I've got enough credit built up with getting rid of sin and problems in my life. Can I let a little unwholesomeness in? Can I let a little sin in? Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians uh, chapter 5, 7 through 9, Ye did run well, talking about the Christian race, the life. You did, it, yeah, you, you did past tense. You were running so well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Something happened. They didn't maintain faithfulness. They didn't maintain consistency. He says in verse 8, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And then he says this in verse 9, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know, you started out so well, but something creeped in. And it was tiny, but you know what leaven does? It starts small, but it grows, and it permeates, right? Something else works that way in our hearts. It's sin. It's pride. It's lethargy. You know, it, it's, it's us being presumptuous. All these different things. And it's like, well, it's not so bad. It's not so evil. But it grows. And if we're going to be victorious and we're going to please God, we have to have consistency in our life. So be consistent in maintaining you know, drastic elimination. You've done it in the past, dear Christian, keep doing that. Secondly, 
We need to be consistent in our dependence on divine empowerment. This isn't all about Joshua being a great military leader. He was a good military leader. It wasn't about how powerful these soldiers were. I'm sure that they were good fighters. But the job of purging the land of the inhabitants was not only left to them. It was not their strength that primarily brought the victory. Folks, whose strength ultimately brought about the victory in each of these cities? It was who? It was God that brought this about. It was not just God assisting them, but it was really they who were assisting God, if you would. God was literally serving up these pagan cities on silver platters for them. They wouldn't have had a chance, probably, in most of these cities to to have victory if God hadn't been working there. And it tells us this in verse 30, right? It says, The Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof into the hand of Israel. The Lord did that. Let's recognize that, you know. We, we walk with the Lord, we've been mature Christians, and you're like, yeah, you know, I remember a time when I really battled with this, but, you know, I kicked that habit. Well, let's be careful to give God the glory, shall we? God delivered me from that habit. I'm thankful. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it in my own strength. It was God's doing. Even while Joshua is smiting with the edge of the sword, it was the Lord that delivered I like what Zechariah 4, 6 says at the end of that verse. He says, not by might nor by power, talking about human might and power, but by my spirit. And who's talking? Saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the fighting armies, right? Here's here's an analogy for you. We have Bibles here tonight, right? We bring our Bibles. Question, is the Bible written by men or by God? I'll, I'll give you a clue. It's a trick question a little bit. Okay, thank you, Miss Shirley. She gets a gold star on her, on her chart. Yes, we know, for instance, in 2 Peter chapter two, 1, rather, 2 Peter 1, 21, talking about God's Word, it says this, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Man didn't decide, you know what, we need a book that we say comes from God so we can keep everybody in check. Man didn't come up with the idea of the Bible. But it goes on to say, but holy men of God spake. So when you read Galatians, you're hearing the words of Paul. And it's not improper to say Paul said this and Paul said that. But he goes on to say, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we know that's talking about God's divine inspiration. I've used this analogy before but some of you may not have heard this and I I think that when I heard this and it's not original with me I thought this really made sense to me it's kind of like someone playing a musical instrument so you have a trumpet and you have a trumpet player and out of the trumpet comes music hopefully right (laughs) sometimes it may not sound very musical right and you hear that music and you and the question is what is producing that music can we say the trumpet is producing that music we can say the trumpet is producing that music. Can we say the, the instrumentalist, the, the trumpet player, is producing the music? And yes, we can. The point of the matter is that trumpet can't produce that music without someone blowing through it, right? It's not going to play itself. And so it is 
you know, when uh, you think about the Word of God and you read Galatians, you know, and you, and you think about Paul, he's like that trumpet, and the Holy Spirit breathe through him, work through him. And what we end up with is the music of God's inspired Word for us. But the point of me bringing up in, in this context is to say, here is man's cooperation, which needs to happen. Man needs to, you know, Joshua had to be out there swinging the sword. You know, God could have just said, all right, today I'm going to totally wipe out Lachish. And, and, you know, and then I'll let you know when it's over. And they could just all be sitting around, you know, having tea and coffee and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, have we heard? Did God wipe them out? He did? Okay, great. God still wanted them to get up, strap on their swords and their shields, and go fight, right? But he didn't want them coming, think, coming back thinking, look how tough we are. We got that victory. They, he wanted them to come back every single time and says, the battle is the Lord's. He used us. It was a privilege to be in the battle today. But we wouldn't have had the victory today had it not been the Lord that delivered them. It's the same way with us. Do we have spiritual battles? Right? Do we need God to fight for us? We do. Can we somehow think that we can just stand up against Satan and say, I know the magic words. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know? And we expect Satan to go, ooh, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. I better run away. Does it work that way? No. God, is Satan scared of us? He's not scared of us. He is scared of our Lord, though. Right? And so, what are we supposed to use? We're supposed to use the sword of the Spirit. Another name for our what? Our Bibles. What's the sword of the Spirit? It's not Carl's sword. It's not Kenny's sword. It's not Woody's sword. It's God's sword, right? We use it, but it's the Word of God that brings the victory. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We walk around in our bodies, right? When we face a battle, you're like, I didn't have anyone come up to me with a physical sword and try to poke me with it. But no doubt if you're a Christian, you felt spiritual warfare this past week. It may have come in the form of depressing thoughts. It may have come in the form of, of desires or lust. It may have come in the form of some foreboding fear. Whatever it is, you recognize, I shouldn't be thinking this way. I shouldn't be behaving this way. But it's coming at me. You know, I'm being assaulted in this way. That's how we fight. That's what our battles look like. He goes on to say, in that same passage, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, tangible, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We can face demons, we can face Satan, and we can have victory, but not because we have miracle water or something like that. We have the Word of God. And the Word of God can prevent us from sinning. But we need to hide it in our hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It won't do us any good if we just say, you know, well, I want to have victory. And so look up there on my shelf. I've got a copy of the Bible. Satan better not come around this house. I've got a Bible on my shelf. Does Satan care if you've got a Bible on your shelf? He cares if you have the Bible in yourself. And so we need to realize, you know, 
I've got to know the Scripture. I've got to speak the Scripture. I've got to utilize the Scripture. When God gives me victory and I rejoice, I don't say, look what a good job I did. I say, I'm thankful to God that He gave me the victory. Thirdly, spiritual victories may begin differently, but they end the same. Spiritual victories may begin differently, but they end the same. Notice in verse 31, Joshua moved to Lachish and encamped against it. So he's moving on the enemy, right? Notice verse 33. Doesn't always do it the same way. In verse 33, the king of Gezer does what? He moves against Joshua. The, the enemy's coming to him. But in either case, Joshua is relying on the Lord, and he fought in faith. The way you go about it isn't any different, but the battles look different. Oh, we need to know that, don't we? It's like, you know, well, this is what spiritual warfare looks like on Monday. Tuesday might look a little different. In our spiritual lives, sometimes we go on the offensive, and we see issues that need to be addressed. You know, we're moving, right? We're approaching. We take the fight to them. This is the heart of missions, in a manner of speaking. This is the heart of evangelism. We, we are invading the realm of Satan's stronghold. He's got the lost. You know, they're his. They're his children at this point. We're taking the gospel. We're taking Jesus to them. We're moving our encampment, right? That's what the church is supposed to do. When Paul ascended to Mars Hill and he addressed all the superstitious thinking of the people, he was taking the initiative. He was attacking the front lines of human wisdom with the wisdom that is from above. Right? That's what he's doing. And we are to consistently to do the same thing in our lives. We're not just to sit around and thinking, you know, well, if a battle doesn't come to me, you know, I'm just going to be sort of idle about it. It's like, and, and sometimes that's why we don't evangelize and we don't witness and, and we don't get involved in missions because we realize, you know, if I do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make Satan mad. But we're still more than conquerors through him that loved us, aren't we? In our spiritual lives, sometimes we may begin more on the offensive because the, the enemy initiates the conflict or say more on the defensive because the the enemy initiates the conflict in other words instead of us moving forward and doing something that stirs up you know satan sometimes we're just minding our own business we think you ever felt that way what did i do to get him upset with me today right yeah well you have christ in you that's enough he hates jesus you have jesus you have the spirit of god he hates you say sometimes he brings the encampment right onto your doorstep this happens during times of temptation say i don't know what happened i was just i had good devotions this morning i was just out mowing my grass and all of a sudden bam right these thoughts start coming in my mind i'm thinking where is this coming from principalities and powers rulers of the darkness of this world satan has a way of not just waiting around for us to misstep he, he moves the boundaries up. Isn't this what happened to our Lord? Matthew 4, the temptation, 40 days in the wilderness, no food. And Satan comes to him. Jesus didn't go saying, you know, I need, Satan, where are you? Satan found him in the wilderness, came looking for him. 
The response of Jesus, the righteous one, was the same. What did he use? Our Lord used the Scripture. He who is the Word of God used the Word of God. What a great example for us as believers, right? Sword of the Spirit. Three times Jesus wields the Word of God to ultimately gain the victory of the wicked, over the wicked one. So we don't need to be looking for novel approaches to handling problems. You know, what's a, what's a great avenue to get make sure that missions and evangelism is effective? Give them the Word. What do I do when Satan brings the attack at me? Use the Word. You know, wield that sword. God will give the victory. Fourthly, thoroughness is just as important as consistency. Thoroughness is just as important as consistency. Let me give you an analogy here. Let's imagine a worker on an assembly line making automobiles, right? Making your automobile. Let's make it personal. You don't know this guy, but somewhere there was, there was a guy that was involved in putting parts on your car, hooking things up. And let's say whatever the part was, it comes down his line, and he's very faithful of putting in the, in the part. You know, that's his job. Boom. Whatever that is. Alternator, something like that. Or, or maybe it's something in the, uh, uh, in the undercarriage area. Okay? And, uh, and, and he's really meticulous at the beginning of his job. Just first couple weeks in, you know, he's been trained exactly what to do. He's been there for a few months, getting a little bored with it. He's texting on his cell phone while he's trying to work, whatever. Talking on Bluetooth, you know, to someone, you know, a sweetheart or something like that. And he pulls out the wrench, but he doesn't pay close attention to the torque specs of that. All right? And so he, he puts the bolts in, but maybe he just wasn't as cautious to make sure it was torqued properly. You know, you have no idea what happens two years later when you're driving your vehicle down the car and it's held together and all of a sudden your, your front right tire goes bouncing down the road and you're scraped, you know. Now, there was a guy that was consistent in putting it together, but he wasn't thorough. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and great cataclysmic problems can happen with a lack of thoroughness. So is there an issue of thoroughness that we see here? Yes, along with the phrases that we've seen, as he did, as he did, all right, talking about faithfulness and consistency, there's also an emphasis on the word all, you know, that encompassing word all. And all is a pretty good word that explains thoroughness, wouldn't you say? So I, I kind of pulled these out so we could see these. You can see them in your own Bible. Verse 37, midway through, all the cities, last part, all the souls. Later on, left none. Verse 39, destroyed all the souls. Verse 40, all the country of the hills. Verse 40, again, he left none remaining. I think there's an emphasis on thoroughness, don't you? And you know what? For there to be really good victory, lasting results, there needs to be thoroughness. You know, we see this being embedded in the way God wanted his children to serve him. For instance, the Jews were told to observe a feast called Passover. It was to remind them of how the, the death angel passed over and God redeemed them out of Egypt. Now, one thing that they did in Passover was to make sure there wasn't leaven. You know, they ate unleavened bread. And so really meticulous Orthodox Jews, even to this day, 
go through a, a very uh, meticulous process of cleaning the house. The woman will make sure that there is no leaven in the house. Very cautious about that. Paul uses this imagery to talk about the purity of our spiritual behavior in church. And we already saw in Galatians, right, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, talking about influence there. Just a little bit still influences it that way. So in, in 1 Corinthians 5, we have an account where there was one individual situation of sexual immorality within the church. Only one. Everybody else seems to be okay in this, but Paul's like hitting it. Now, maybe the congregation is like, well, all of us are doing fine except for them. So can we just sort of forget about them? Here's what Paul says to the believers in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Know ye not that a little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. He uses that analogy. He knew they would get this. You know, that one situation can influence others. And certainly it would. I mean, if that couple's allowed to live in immorality, it's not long that another one's like, well, you know, God didn't strike them down with lightning. Everybody's treating them like everything's okay. I guess it's not so bad. Maybe I'll get involved in a situation like that. Or maybe they get tempted and, and they're not thinking, oh, there was great consequences when so-and-so did that. I better be cautious. And so just that one situation can influence the whole church, is what he's saying. Purge out there for the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Again, he's using that analogy, but what is God after? He's after sincerity. Let's be genuine. Let's know what the truth is. What does God teach? And let's live it really in our life. And let's not be satisfied if, well, there's just this one problem. No, let's deal with it. We need to make sure that there is, in our consistency, there's a thoroughness to it. So just like the Corinthians, we need to be not patting ourselves on the back. Well, I'm doing a pretty good job as a Christian. But yet there's maybe some areas that we have blind spots to, oversights. You know, let's don't be okay with that. Let's never be okay with areas of disobedience in God's eyes. Let's make sure we say, you know what, I need to purge out that leaven that I can continue to be a new lump in fellowship with God. So when it comes to consistency, there should be an emphasis on action and not just attitude. You, you know, we can say, I believe all this, but we have to make sure that we're practicing it, right? It's not only important that we believe right, we must also behave right. 1 John 3, 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness... Hear that emphasis? He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. It needs to be not just our profession, because our profession, what we say, is meaningless if it's not backed up by our practice. That's what the Word of God is trying to teach us. Consistency in our Christian lives. It's so easy for us to get a little bit lax and a little bit lazy. and Things begin to creep in. And as we think about the importance of really honoring our Savior and our God, we're not trying to impress Him. We're not trying to pay back our salvation. What we're trying to do is just love because He first loved us. What, what does God want? You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
as you feel like it. Hit and miss. No, God doesn't say that. What's implied? Obey. Be faithful. Be consistent, right? Be thorough in that. Martin Luther once performed a funeral service for a very godly pastor that he knew back in 1522. The pastor's name was Nicholas Hausmann. Martin Luther made really one comment and sat down as a eulogy. What we preach, he lived. What a great statement to be able to be said about someone. What we preach, he lived. Don't you want that to be said about you? I read that and I thought, I want that to be true of me. I want to, I want to have a consistency. It's not just, oh yeah, Pastor Wood gave great messages here and there and so forth like that. That was helpful. That was good. Insights there. But I hope what the Lord sees is, no, it's in the heart. It's in the life. It's in the practice. Consistency. It's easy to know. It's another thing to do, isn't it? That's what God wants us to do. Be faithful stewards. Not just in our heads, but as we carry out our duty in hands and feet as well. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the victory that can be ours, just as there was victory granted to the Israelites. Lord, to see that you were the one that delivered the enemy. And Lord, today you deliver victory into our hands. We're more than conquerors because of what you do. But Lord, we also thank you that you allow us to participate. You don't ask for great talents, great skills. You ask us to be faithful. Lord, help us not to become lethargic. Help us not to become careless. Lord, help us in love to be consistent. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.